0: Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card,
1: right this way,
0: it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
1: Hey, it's Doug Gottlieb. You know our trusted partner, TireRack.com, has their fast, free shipping, free roadhouse protection, convenient installation options, and their selection of the best tires, like the highly consumer-rated Bridgestone Weather Peak. But did you know they sell other automotive products as well? Wheels, brakes, and suspension, just to name a few. Everything you need to elevate your drive, just go to TireRack.com slash sports, TireRack.com. It's the way the tire buying should be.
2: I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast.
1: Hey, welcome in. It's All Ball. It's the All Basketball Podcast. Uh, remember to download, subscribe, and rate us, and also tell a friend. However you came upon All Ball, tell a friend, tell a friend. we got great stuff for you upcoming. Outstanding stuff for you upcoming. But we are on uh, the verge of the end of the NBA season, which means the beginning of the summer of LeBron. And uh, many of us have seen different lists of teams that might make sense. And uh, I'll just look, I want to get to the NBA finals and give you my actual analysis of what we've seen, give you my thoughts on Kevin Durant, My thoughts on LeBron James, um, who has been, was magnificent in game one. Okay. In game two, uh, I thought really good in game three, but not, not magnificent. And he's still down uh three. 0 what that means for the Michael Jordan comparison, what that means for the best player in basketball comparison. Uh, what that means for the future of the Cavs and and other teams, and and if we're in fact going to have a series, but but I, I think this is incre- incredibly and increasingly important to discuss. That I'm not sure there's a perfect fit for LeBron. There's not one that goes like, oh yeah, yeah, that makes sense, that makes sense. Th- there's this thing in movie making, and it's the same thing in business, right? If you're going to start a business, you tell me what it is in two sentences, and if I go, oh yeah, that makes sense, then you you got to you got a hit. It's the same thing in movie. Like, what's this movie? It's this, it's this, it's this. Maybe three sentences. You're like, oh, yeah, that's gonna it. You know, and then it comes down to, obviously, you know, how well shot it is. Uh, did the actors become the roles that they play? The timing of the movie being released. But like, you know, tell me, like, oh, that makes, makes sense. When you look around the NBA, tell me where it makes sense. Does Houston make sense? Sort of. Sort of. Sure, it would be a big three. It would be a it would there would there'd be some similarities to the Miami situation where now you'd have a big three. My my issue with it is like, look, LeBron can say all these things about well, you know, phase two he he'll, he's willing to play without the basketball, but phase one has been I don't know thirty years. So it's a really difficult thing to do. I, I, this is spoken from a guy who I'm a solo radio host on my radio show, and of course, this podcast is my podcast. I'll I'll share the mic with anybody. I, I've done. Um, I've done co-host shows, but I, I'm fortunate to have started doing a co-host show for my first four or five years back when I was at ESPN, occasionally done them now. So I still have had that role some, right? LeBron has only had this role where he'll, he'll share the spotlight when he's with the Olympic team. No, that's the truth. Um, so, and, and we're talking about, you know, two times really in his life. Otherwise, he's essentially the point guard. He's the alpha. Everybody plays off of him. And while Chris Paul was willing to sacrifice some ego this year, like, is Chris Paul going to be the third wheel? And then what about James Harden? Don't get me wrong. That's a dynamic threesome. And while we may all be up in arms, okay, that that chain, Clint Capella is no longer there. It's, It's hard to find a Clint Capella, but not impossible. It's impossible to find another LeBron James. What happens with Trevor Reza, Eric Gordon gone? Like, they got to move all those other parts that made Houston kind of cool and spread the court for these guys. On the other hand, kind of like you've seen with the Warriors, you got three dudes, and that's hard to beat. And and in all candor, like, those three guys are probably as good and probably better together than the three. Th- than, well, whether or not they're better, remember, we have to look at it through the prism of Chris Paul in his 30s, LeBron James in his thirties and, uh, and, and whether or not James Harden plays any defense, you know, compare that to the the big three of the warriors, um, Chris Paul versus Steph Curry. Steph does one thing clearly better than Chris Paul. Clearly. I mean, he's an incredible shooter outside of that. Uh, both are a little bit injury prone. Chris Paul, better defensively, Chris Paul, a better sounder passer, uh, you know, in terms of finishing shots, I would say Chris Paul is a little bit better than Steph. Although Steph has a greater variety of finishing shots. If you compare James Harden to Clay Thompson, they're very different, right? Clay Thompson is uh, is a great shooter and a really good defender, and rebounds a little bit, and is a low maintenance guy. James Harden is high maintenance, has to have the ball, but a much better scorer. Uh, and by score, I mean, you know, like, look, he finds a variety of ways to score. He's an up and down three point shooter, needs the ball in his hands. Not much of a defender at all. Although some of that, some of the effort percentage of times in which he's given it is all has improved. And you think it would improve even more if he wasn't the alpha on a team. Um, but he's a, kind of the opposite ty- style of player. And then you have the LeBron versus Durant, which I want to get into. Two very different players. LeBron's power. LeBron's ability to see the floor, to guard multiple positions, but let's not underestimate what Kevin Durant can be defensively and Kevin Durant's shooting. There's some similarities there to other positions. And then it would be what they put, what you're able to put around them. Who's willing to take pennies on the dollar in order to play with them? I think the whole thing would be fascinating. But I, I don't, nor have I ever gotten the sense that Mike D'Antoni's the type of coach that would be a perfect fit for LeBron nor does Houston feel like a perfect fit for LeBron's persona. On the other hand, you know, like, look, he's in Cleveland now. He was in Miami before. And however glamorous you think Miami is as an international city, like Miami's not, it's not New York. It's not LA. It's not Chicago. So Houston doesn't feel perfect. It feels like the best of the big three options. LA gives you all the things LA gives you. The possibility of Paul George coming with you and remember wherever he's gone he's brought another all-star with him when he went to Miami Chris Bosh came with him they met with Dwayne Wade eventually they brought in Ray Allen the same thing can be said when he went to Cleveland he brought Kevin Love in with him to go along with Kyrie Irving and then you know some of the other pieces slowly added on LA would give you that with but the question is what's there with him like Kyle Kuzma really good rookie but sixth man or fifth best starter like Brandon Ingram, really good second-year player, but is can he be a third option and win right away? The answer is I, I don't know. I, I don't think so. Um, but it is L.A. and the Lakers have figured it out, and I think we would all agree that that Golden State, at least this group, has kind of peaked, and it's it's a shell of its former self, and they're going to have some reworking to do. I, I think a lot of these teams. That you hear coming out about LeBron. Well, he'll meet with Boston. He liked to like, yeah, he likes the idea of Brad Stevens and he loves all the young talent they have. But they would have to, they would have to move a bunch of stuff around. And are they going to get rid of Kyrie Irving to bring in LeBron? Uh, maybe. I mean, Danny Ainge is a savage like that. Maybe I mean, that would be the ultimate respect for what Boston has done, what Boston has built. And remember, LeBron has pointed out in years in the past, like how well coached, he thinks the Boston Celtics are. The Knicks make some sense. They just do. The Knicks make a lot of sense because David Fisdale's is his guy. It's New York. And, you know, LeBron did something that all of us thought was, was impossible 15 years ago, which is win in Cleveland. No one for the last 50 years has been able to win the whole thing in New York. Przingis coming back, the assumption is he'd be able to add another star and go from there. Philly, like, yeah, again, is he going to play without the basketball? Does he want to play in Philadelphia? They don't have a leadership. Are they going to hire David Griffin? Does that get it done? I don't know. I kind of think you're hearing all these teams being thrown out there because there is no idea that goes like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And with the void of a team, that makes sense. That makes sense. You're left with, well, maybe he'll meet with Golden State. Maybe he'll meet with uh, the Knicks. And maybe he'll meet with, the Boston Celtics and maybe, maybe it's Houston. Maybe it's the LA. Maybe it's the LA Clippers. Maybe he stays in Cleveland. I mean, he could stay in Cleveland. He got it done this year. I, I granted he, it helped that Boston was injured. Granted it's helped that Washington still, that, that matchup against Washington still hasn't ever come to fruition. He went through Toronto who he owns. He survived a young a uh, young, a uh, young squad. I mean, honestly, Portland makes a ton of sense on paper. But who goes to Portland as a free agent? Portland's a place where people leave as a free agent, right? Crazy. So I wish I could give you, I just talked to two NBA coaches. I wish I could tell you definitively where he's going. But I feel like LeBron James is trying to create some sort of leverage wherever he goes. Like the San Antonio thing, I've heard Chris Broussard talk about that. We do understand that if, if you go to San Antonio that you're going to have to check your ego at the door, right? That's not a LeBron James thing. And though he may think he wants to be coached, does he? Maybe. I mean, that one would make a ton of sense in terms of, if it's just a player, I want to go play for the best coach, the best franchise, and it would give him him, LaMarcus Aldridge, Kawhi Leonard, like, boy, that's pretty good. You put any guards, but DeJounte Murray's a non-shooting point guard. That usually doesn't work with LeBron. Dejounte Murray is a very good defensive player. Seems to be smart, really good athlete. Can't shoot. He's never played with a guy like that. He needs guys that can shoot to spread the floor, so he can be LeBron. They're not used to playing with a ball stopper. He is, and people think that doesn't mean he's selfish. He's unselfish, but he likes to pass. He likes to have the pass that leads to the assist. Whereas, you know, San Antonio is in that they've they've had great ball movement the last. I don't know, seven or eight years. They're one of the first ones to really emphasize turning the ball over side to side, using pick and roll, replace, hitting three-point shot. I just, I don't know if that fits there. addition to which, kind of one of the unspoken parts about why I think he needs leverage, he wants to have his guys. He wants to have Rich Paul and Maverick Carter, those guys around the team. That's what they do in Cleveland. That was one of the things that wore out its welcome in Miami. And I don't know how that works in any of these spots. And that's why I think he wants to create, hey, maybe I'll go here if you won't let my guys be around the team. So I don't know. I wish I could tell you I knew. Um, let me give you quickly a couple of couple of tidbits on the NBA draft. Uh, the Nova guys continue to to rise. Have you seen Villanova? They lost Jalen Brunson. Amari Spellman's gone. Dante Divincenzo's gone. Uh, don't be surprised if you know this is a team with with four guys taken somewhere between. Uh, Mid-first, you know, Mikhail Bridges, of course, is probably going to be a lottery pick. That's, yeah, that's four guys I just named right there that are going to go in the first to early second round. Uh, Bridges will go the highest. Brunson probably goes second round because he's seen as kind of a solid, steady backup more than a starter. Spellman has a ton of upside. And, of course, he lost a bunch of weight at Nova. He still needs to change and evolve with his body, but everybody likes him. And then Dante DiVincenzo, I guess he'll be a first-round pick, which is stunning considering he didn't start for them. Freak athlete, not a great ball handler, not a good passer. Wheel guard is tough, probably always an off-the-bench guy. I think he'll be a little bit overdrafted. Overdrafted mean going probably 5, 10 spots too high because everyone loves Nova's culture. And that's what you're looking for if you can't find a superstar, and there's not a ton of superstars in this draft. It's also interesting to me that Marvin Bagley is skyrocketing back up to number two and probably not going to go number one. I have him as my number one prospect. You know the the, the days I just—it's funny. I was just talking to an NBA head coach, and he was talking to me about his center and about how his center wants the basketball down to low post. And he's like, "Look, we tracked it. He shoots 44 percent on post up shots. The game is so physical down there that what, you know, with the exception of LeBron, KD, maybe on a fadeaway." Or using those guys as passers. The old days of backing a guy down and shooting over the top of him, those, those are like gone. They just are. And yet here we are. We're going to do it again with DeAndre, who can face up and shoot, is really uh, really active, can block shots. But he's not a true shot blocker. He's not a true pick and roll run to the rim guy. So I'm, I'm fast. I think I, I still would take Bagley. But Bagley, like all of a sudden people are like, well, you know what, Marvin Bagley's awesome. Like, I know he's awesome. Feels like he'd still be a steal even at number two. and how many, Now, we've seen number twos like Kevin Durant hit. We've seen number twos, you know, be massive swings and misses as well. But the Nova guys continue to rise. Mitchell Robinson, of course, is a high school guy, was supposed to go to Western Kentucky. I've heard that he's a guy who there's some off-the-court stuff, some baggage, a lot of immaturity, but he's your classic 2018 center. Heard good things about him. And I've heard great things about Grayson Allen, talking to several NBA people that, yeah, there's some immaturity there in college, and I, they don't think he'll be a star, but he's tough. He can make shots. Uh, he's a better-than-you-think athlete. He knows who he is. He knows what he does. And whereas uh, in the past, an ath- a, a a wing who doesn't necessarily create his own shot, and he's not not a lights-out, knock-down J.J. Reddick shooter, you stay away from the differences now, the way teams are playing with the right team, where you have a non-traditional, no longer true point guard, uh, your, your best score coming down off a ball screen, creating shots for others. He'll be able to play a long time in the NBA. So the Duke guys are doing well. The Nova guys are doing well. Uh, the Kansas guys, Sfi Mihailuk uh, has done really well in workouts more so than Devonte Graham. Mihailuk can really shoot, stretch the floor and all the Kansas guys guard, good culture guys. So there's a little bit of your draft update. We'll give you, we'll get way more into it on next week's edition of All Ball. All right, now here's what I've seen with the NBA finals, and we'll get to do some of these interviews. You know, I, I think it's going to be a misremembered NBA Finals. I really do. If the Cavs are swept by the Warriors, people are going to say Warriors are just so much better. And and maybe historically they will be. It should be pointed out. Kevin Love's going to be in the Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame. Wrap your head around that. Okay. One NBA championship, perennial all-star. He's going to be in that. He's going to have ridiculous numbers. He's going to be a hall of famer. So you have two hall of famers against three. I, I guess clay will be one. I'm not totally sold that Draymond will be one. The context text of this series, Draymond can't make shots. They play without Iguodala for two of the games. Um, Steph, with the exception of the fourth quarter in game two, wasn't good in game two. I mean, shot a a low percentage in game two until the fourth quarter and couldn't make a shot with the exception of the one wide open one, had the beautiful pass to Draymond. Like Steph hasn't been great. Kevin Durant has been steady in game two. Okay. In game one, great in game three. Great. But I mean, the Cavs could have stolen game one. Game two was at least competitive and game three, the Cavs could have won that game as well. These are winnable games. And while the Warriors do have just three better shot makers than any three of the Cavs, the Cavs have plenty of guys that can make shots, have made shots in the NBA. Um, I don't think it's a great look for LeBron, the breaking down and and uh, the, the I don't know if it's exhaustion or the fact he's just worn out uh, when J.R. Smith blew it at the end of regulation and George Hill missed a free throw and Ty Lue didn't call timeout. But you would have liked to see, like, if there's three things you could do, three things you could do as a superstar when that happens. One is what he did. Two is just crush JR. What the F are you doing? Uh, You know, almost get confrontational, challenge him, challenge him as man, challenge the coaching staff. The third thing you could could have done and you would have liked to seen is, hey, man, next play it's called a next play mentality. And many of you who listen to this are basketball players or basketball coaches, I I struggle with the next play mentality, or at least internally I would have, but externally. Yeah, man, that's what you do. You saw Kyle Corey trying to get it. No one else did. They're all scared of him and LeBron and you react to LeBron. And when LeBron is not in next play mode, when he's in shutdown mode, they were done. That's not the greatest look in the world. And that, that continued on in terms of game three. I understand that he was trying to not be exhausted at game three. I, I fully, I, I get that, you know, they're switching defensively. And, you know, I thought Kevin Love actually did a pretty good job. I thought Rodney Hood did a pretty good job. But you're LeBron James. You're the one guy who can be super physical with Kevin Durant going one-on-one and not get called for a foul because you're LeBron James. The same things you're able to get away with forcing the contact and forcing the issue offensively. You can do that same thing defensively as well. So look, I don't think, um, I don't think that this is a, a complete indictment as Jason Whitlock has said on his competitiveness. I'm not willing to go there. No, but I do think that there is a certain gene that may be missing a certain. He's just wired differently than any alpha we've ever seen. And if we're truly going to tell the, the, the tale of LeBron James, sure, we're, we're okay saying that JR he had his greatest playoff finals performance ever when he had 51. He had, by the way, his second greatest one was when he had cramps. Remember he had cramps in San Antonio, that last San Antonio series, when his body just shut down on him? He was unbelievable that night, too. No one will ever point out a Ray Allen bailed him out with made three in the San Antonio Spurs missed free throws. None of this happens. Like All of this is part of the context of the story. Now, look, I started the playoffs thinking Kevin Durant was the best player in the NBA, and there were times in the playoffs in which uh, Durant was not. LeBron has been far more dominant, far more consistently. On the other hand, he has a team that's built around his style of play. Durant is an add-on to it. He's like, um, I like to use house analogies, right? You know, it's like if you redo the inside of a house that, you know, like farmhouse style, but you got stucco exterior, like, they're built around a motion offense where they move the ball. They look for the mismatch. If they don't have it, constant ball movement. They're a great slip team. And Durant is an ISO guy. And so it's kind of a weird fit with how he fits with the warriors. So to people who say, well, you know, he wouldn't do anything with Cleveland. They wouldn't get into the finals. Like, I don't know if you build a team around his ability to create shots for himself and for others, the way that Cleveland's built around LeBron, yeah, I actually think he would put up insane numbers. Insane numbers. And in the NBA Finals, where you can tell me all about the pressure of Houston or how he didn't play well in games five and six and was good in seven, but not good, that's fine. There is no more pressure than playing in the NBA Finals against LeBron. Last year, four out of five games, he was the better player. This year, I would say two of the three games, he's been the better player. And while I would admit to you, none of us watch every game in the NBA. LeBron for has had a has had a better career, has been a better player, and and he has been more dominant in the NBA playoffs. Has been the better player for most of the NBA playoffs. When people shut down on a conversation, even when the two great players are on the same floor and you can evaluate them both at the same time, that's that's when I, I struggle to have a conversation with you you can still think LeBron's better. And I may, I may have moved more to that side of agreeing with you some, but just people, the the problem with these debates, the Jordan debate, the LeBron debate, the Durant debate, whatever is people, guys get dug in and they can't, their conversation never evolves. They never see anybody else's. So let me help you on one. One of the things used against Michael Jordan, which is really laughable to me is, well, Michael Jordan got swept twice. So LeBron's never been swept. And then, of course, the Jordan fans say, well, Michael Jordan never lost in the NBA Finals. LeBron James has lost a bunch of time in the Finals. Should be pointed out that Jerry West, who's one of, if not the greatest, one of the greatest shooting guards in the history of the league, and I know that technically Michael Jordan is a shooting guard. I'm very different from, I mean, look, Jerry West was one and eight in the NBA Finals. He's the logo of the league. Do I think he's the greatest player ever? No. Um, but he was very much—he's the only guy to be the NBA Finals MVP and his team not win it. So he's obviously viewed as one of the top ten players in the history of the league, and he's one and eight in the finals. So it's not all one guy. It's not. But if you if you if you think that Jordan getting swept twice is a legitimate legitimate discussion for who's the greater all time player, I'll give you LeBron James is down three games to none. Both of the sweeps that Jordan had were at the hand of the Boston Celtics, who at that point in time were made up of three or four Hall of Famers. Right, Ken McHale, Larry Bird, Robert Parrish, Dennis Johnson, uh, Bill Walton on those team on one of those teams. Uh, Danny Ainge. I mean, it just it goes on and on. I mean, incredible teams, and those were terrible teams. That this is how bad the Bulls, Jordan's second year in the league. They won 30 games. Now, he missed most of the year with a foot injury, and he came back. So they were obviously better than the 30 win team, but they were a 30 win team for a reason without him. Jordan had 63 in game two. That game was played in the Boston Garden. They lost in a best of five series, three games to none. This is a seven game series. Right now, LeBron is down three games to none. I told you I thought Durant was better in game three, but I thought LeBron was really, really good. Really good. I mean, it was just Durant was otherworldly and LeBron was really, really good. So it wasn't, it wasn't night and day. Durant was super efficient in game two, 10 of 14. LeBron obviously had lost some of his zip because of how much he spent. He was great in game one. And my point is this, that if, if getting swept three games to none twice by a historically great team when you play on a crummy team is your argument then you have to make the same argument that basically they've been swept three games to none and that somehow LeBron hasn't played well. He has played great. And they're still down three games to none. Sometimes you go against a better team. Sometimes things go crazy. Sometimes the guy hits a shot. Sometimes J.R. Smith forgets time and score after George Hill an 80% free throw shooter chokes a free throw. It's a really bad argument. Don't make it because it's a house of cards. It just fell down. It just fell down. All right, let's get you to some of the interviews here on All Ball. Brad Stevens joins us on the Doug Gottlieb show. What what what's this been like for you to uh, to receive such acclaim? You, you did such a good job deflecting it during the playoffs, but I mean, internally, what's it like when people make so many um, so many comments about your specific coaching style and coaching skill during the playoffs?
5: Well, I, I said this before, Doug. Um, it's uncomfortable uh, for me. You know, I think the we all get into coaching cause we love the coaching aspect of it and being around the game and everything else. And, um, you know, but when, you know, the, the major moment, I guess, for a lot of us at Butler, uh, when we went to the final fours was when it became, um, we became a lot more discussed, I guess, and, and a lot less anonymous. Um, those times coaching when you're anonymous are a lot more fun, <laughs> but, um, but I do think that, um, you know, it's, it's uncomfortable. The guys deserve all the credit and should get all the credit. And as I've said before, we have a role to play, and um, my role includes, um, you know, making substitutions and trying to come up with a system on offense and defense. But
1: Brad, you know, we, we've talked before about. About what was what was possible, what was likely with this team? I mean, you had essentially an entirely new team, right? Like you had a couple of pieces that had been there before. Obviously, Marcus had been there since he was drafted. Um, you know, Al, of course, had been there since he signed as a free agent a couple of years ago. But such a new team, when when Kyrie was out for the year, right? When he had when he had those screws removed, and you're like, he's not coming back. What did you honestly think was possible for this team in the playoffs?
5: To be real, to be honest, Doug, I didn't even think about it. Um, Just tried to get ready for the next game, and then, you know, the next game after that, the next game after that. We struggled initially um, when Kyrie was out, and then we won some games. Um, We beat Oklahoma City in kind of a a lucky win where Marcus Morris had a heck of a shot late. Um, In a game, we came back, uh, and then we went on the road and beat uh, one at Portland, um, and then back ended that road trip with a win at Utah, where we didn't have Horford, and, and it just kind of was like, you know what? Maybe we're uh, maybe maybe we can figure out a way to be, you know, be a little bit better. And everybody's excited about these roles that they're getting a chance to play, and, and everything else that goes along with it. So um, I didn't really ever think about what we could do, what we couldn't do, um, and you know, like quite frankly, I think we're all sitting here. Um, you know, wishing that we would have done more. Like, you know, at the end of the day, we had a great opportunity to be playing in the NBA Finals, and we we came up short.
1: You're up up 12 in the second quarter, and I thought, like, I understand that that some of what you allowed guys to get away with, you had to based upon. I mean, like, look, you 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 got to let Marcus be Marcus because he gives you so many other things. Terry Rozier, especially at home, you got to like, let him take a couple of shots. I wouldn't normally, but he gives you so much. You know, he gives you so much in place with so much confidence. But you're up 12, and it felt like your shot selection wasn't great, and you gave up, a. you know, you had done such a good job transition defense, and you gave up a couple of layups. I felt like they were close. Cleveland was close to shutting it down, that you had them, you kind of had your foot on your throat, their throat, and you couldn't step on them. Was that the feeling you had?
5: Well, I felt like we didn't convert. I, I didn't I, I thought the shot selection in the second quarter was really good. Um I thought we went through a period in the third where, you know, um we could probably have a couple of those back and then I thought that we got pretty good shots um you know, late late or really throughout the whole fourth until maybe the last minute and a half or so, um when they took a five and ultimately a seven point lead. But, you know, at that time you're um you know, one of our great strengths as a team was we've got such competitive guys that um, sometimes that's part of it, you know, but I felt good about it. and We rode those guys making those shots the whole way there, um, and I believe in them greatly that if we're lucky enough to be in that position again, and we'll make them the next time, but um, when you lose um, Game 7 to go to the NBA Finals, you comb through everything and you try to figure out everything that you could have done different. Um, and, you know, like any other game, there's always stuff, but Ultimately, I felt like our shot selection overall in that game was pretty good, and um, obviously we defended terrific, and we, had, we were really consistent with that for most of that series.
1: If you said you combed through things, what would you find in your own kind of self evaluation that you would have you would have personally done differently?
5: Well, I think that second quarter just you know that that was the point in time where if that thing gets to eighteen or twenty, it's a diff- you know I think it's a different feel. Um, than letting it get back to nine six three and you know those those timeouts are so important um, to have late and you get one extra one uh, you know most people probably don't notice but you get you basically get one extra one that the, that's not part of a TV timeout up until the forty five minute mark of the game so with three minutes left and be able to take two into the final two minutes and obviously in any close. And you want to have two in those final two minutes. And so you've got to be very judicious with when to take it. I probably would go back and take it in that stretch, my extra one, um, because I think that that stretch could have been really, really helpful for us. But as I went back and watched the shots, I felt pretty good about it. Um, But that's just part of it, you know, And, and I think you kind of comb through and go through again when could we have made the most impact on a possession to kind of stem the tide of their runs and you know we just didn't do quite enough they made a ton of plays and and i think that ultimately um you know again it was it was too bad because we guarded so well
1: you know it's it's interesting you know how stories are going to be told i've told people all week long that the story of this final series if it ends up in a sweep tonight we're going to look back historically and say well it was a sweep but the truth is the Cavs probably should have won Game One, could have won Game Three, and Game Two was in fact competitive. It's interesting because I'm I'm not sure if the story of of your run in the NBA playoffs is going to be accurately told, right? That you you were up 12 and that you missed a bunch of shots that you know normally you would you would make a ton of. Well, I think it was like 13 open three point shots that you guys you guys missed. How 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 should we? as As sports broadcasters, as analysts, how should we tell the stories of games so that people can understand that the narrative maybe doesn't fit the actual game
5: It's <laughs> a great question that's why you're way more qualified to do that than i am i'm I'm not into the storytelling I'm just into trying to figure out how to coach the next day as well as we can i mean um you know, and I think that the, I think it's important as players and coaches not to get caught up in that. You know, I think you, you try to do your job as well as you can as a coach. You try to play as well as you can as a player. You put everything out there. You lay everything on the line. Our guys did that. Um, and we, we didn't make enough um, plays as players and coaches to get to where we wanted to go. And However people want to frame a story, they can frame a story. But at the end of the day, um, we had a chance because of the effort of those young players that we had and great leadership from and Baines and Marcus Morris and some of our older players, and they, they put us in position to have a chance. Um, and, you know, that's what stings the most, I think, when, you, when you're not able to get over the hump.
1: I, I got about a minute left. Last year, right before the Kyrie deal, you told me you were pretty confident that th- that was the team that was going to play this season. And, of course, there's a <laughs> huge deal done. Uh, did you know at the time, or or did was it was it a surprise even to you?
5: No, not even when I told you that I meant that. I mean, that that was something that seemed really far fetched and not you know I didn't I didn't think at that time that that would ever uh, materialize, and I certainly didn't think all of the 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 pieces that were in the trade were going to be in the trade. That's just a it's just a uh, you know it's a great reminder me me the coach how quickly things can change um and we were really lucky to with only four guys back from last year's team to have the group that we did because you know i thought they really um really came together quickly and again gave us a chance um to be good but no um i thought we were done making big moves um you know 14 16 18 months ago and uh and now um you know obviously we looked we looked like a different team um on September 1st than we did on July 1st of last year and um I think you just stay on your toes as a coach and get ready to coach.
1: Hey man listen it was an incredible run it was fantastic to watch I can't wait to see you guys at full strength next year we'll we'll see what see what Danny pulls off this off season in the meantime enjoy your your time with your family and we look forward to catching up real soon.
5: All right, see you, Doug.
1: Take care. Brad Stevens, head coach of the Boston Celtics. Thanks so much for listening to All Ball. I hope you enjoy the NBA Finals. I hope you enjoyed everything we brought you. Uh, Make sure you subscribe, you download, you rate, and you stick with us because we're going to continue to get you ready for the NBA draft. Uh, we're going to have off-season stuff for college basketball. I got some high school stuff for you. I got a bunch of NBA and, of course, NBA free agent movement. We'll have NBA players. We'll have NBA coaches. We'll have NBA front office people. Uh, this this is it's. – it's been cool to kind of have a thing. The hottest growing basketball podcast in the country. You are listening to All Ball. I'm Doug Gottlieb. I'm
2: Dioza.